Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing. Get your free ebook today at www.heattreattoday.com slash ebook. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. In this episode, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, gets to talk about all things induction with Greg Holland, a sales engineer from LDECT LLC. Specifically, these guys will hone into what fluxless, inert atmosphere brazing looks like and how this process changes the game for some heat treaters. Now, let's tune into the conversation. So we're here today with Greg Holland, who is a sales engineer at LDEC LLC out of somewhere up near Detroit. What's the exact town where you're in up there, Greg? Yeah, we're in Auburn Hills, which is where the Pistons used to play before they moved downtown here within the last year or two. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you, so you had to give up your season tickets, I assume. Oh, you think uh, you think we have season tickets here? That's that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I have been to a couple of games, um, but no, Great. we did not have season tickets. Oh well, hey, there's always there's always hoping. So anyhow, but anyhow, we're here with Greg. We're going to talk today about a uh, kind of an interesting induction technology. Of course, for those of you who don't know, in fact, I'll give you a chance to do this, Greg, rather than me doing it. First off, let's start. I want I want to hear about LDEC a little bit, but let's start out with a brief history about you. Sure. Um, as you said, my name is Greg Holland. Uh, I'm a sales engineer here at LDEC. Uh, we're located in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Uh, you know, my main duties are inside sales, uh, marketing activities, you know, trade show coordinating, that kind of stuff, uh, as well as I'm the coordinator and the scheduler for our in-house coil shop. I've been in the induction industry here for about five years now. Uh, prior to that, I spent time in both air filtration as well as the thin films industry. Uh, and I feel that my experiences there have really given me a, a wide background. Uh, it's made me a well-rounded engineer in my, you know, in my opinion, my humble opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But, you know, it's given me a lot of perspective and, and some background knowledge that um, some of my colleagues here necess- don't necessarily have, right. um, which has been a good thing. So. Good, good. Okay, super. And uh, I want to back up, just put the personal note in, because I found when you and I visited the first time, you're a Western Pennsylvania guy. I am, yeah. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh. Um, and yeah. we went to rival colleges. I, I remember yes, that. Yes, we did. It's unfortunate, you know. So I, I, I got to say this joke publicly, because I always say it privately, right? You went to Geneva College, which is a good, solid Bible teaching college. I went to Grove City, also a good, solid you know, Christian school. And I always tell people they went to Geneva. What's the matter? Couldn't you get into Grove City? You know, so there's my. <laughs> uh, Geneva is a good school. Geneva College in uh, in Beaver Falls, actually. All right. That's so, right. Yes. Good school. And you actually were what? Uh, Mars. Is that right? Was that? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I grew up in the town of Mars. Yeah. So I was, right. I'm a Martian. <laughs> there you go. See that? So it's a lot of people don't know you're from out of this world. You're, you're from Mars. That's where you that's where you started, which is great, which is a town north of uh, north of uh, Pittsburgh, not to be confused with Moon. Which is just west of Pittsburgh, so or Apollo, which is also in the Pittsburgh area. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of strange. Okay, anyway, that's good. So, how about LDEC though? You mentioned where the company is and whatnot. Give us just the you know the elevator pitch on LDEC, please. Sure, the elevator pitch. Uh, LDEC was established in Germany in 1982 by a gentleman named Wolfgang Schwank. Um, in 1998, um, he packed his family up and moved here to Michigan. 
um, established what was at the time LDEC Induction USA mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in 1998. Uh, he, his goal was to better cover the North American market. And what better way to cover a market like that than to be in the market? Yeah. Um, right. So he continued to have LDEC in Europe, and then he um, started here in the U.S. Uh, we moved into the building we're in now in 2001. Um, we've been here ever since. We've grown the facility a couple of times. Um, and then in 2013, uh, LDEC as a whole was purchased by the EMAG group mm-hmm. um, from the machine tool industry, which I'm right. sure a lot of your listeners uh, are familiar with. Right. Right. At that okay, time, good. we changed our name to LDEC LLC. So. Right. Right. And can you say, Greg, just is there a, is there an area of specialty that LDEC focuses on? I mean, is it is there is there a specialty or is it just pretty much all things induction? Yeah, I mean, I would say all things induction. Um, okay. Our office in particular does not do a lot of the heat treating. Um, that is handled by our sister company here in the U.S. EMAG. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because if they're selling the, the, you know, the machine tools, those are the typically the customers that are then looking to heat treat. So it makes more sense for just one person to knock on the door. Right. Uh, not saying that we aren't versed in heat treating. We definitely are. Uh, right. Prior to prior to 2013, all of that was sold out of our office here for North America. Right. Um, and we have process development capabilities here um, that uh I would say rival what our sister company EMAG has, which they're also in the Detroit area here. Right, right. Okay, good. So we're going to talk today about uh, something you and I have spoke about a little bit offline here, and that is induction fluxless, excuse me, fluxless inert atmosphere brazing. So let's just just start at the very basics and work our way through it. What it what is it? What is this thing we're talking about? Sure. Well, when you when you're brazing in normal air. Uh, you end up with oxides on your parts. Right. And if you don't get the oxides off of your parts, then they end up in the in the joint, like between the metal layers and the alloy. Um, so a lot of times people will use a flux. Uh, what we are looking to do here is to eliminate the need for that flux. And so we uh, would use an inert atmosphere. Right. So that's okay. So that that's basically we're talking about bra- uh, brazing. Uh, in an atmosphere, using induction, obviously, without flux, and the, the primary reason to get rid of those oxides. Okay, so wh- I, I, you kind of answered this already, but why do we need it? I mean, why do we need that type? What's wrong with using flux, let's say? Sure. A uh, typical braze process uh, would use that fluxing agent, so it's either uh, an extra paste that you would put on or um, in the uh, in the event that you have like uh, you're brazing carbon or co- in the event you're brazing copper, say, right. uh, you would have maybe a silver alloy that would have uh, a phosphorus in there. Well, that phosphorus acts as the flux. Right. Uh, it tends to, um, you know, as the alloy melts, the phosphorus er- interacts with the copper oxides um, and, and basically cleans the joint for you. Mm-hmm. And then it allows the uh, the alloy to wet and flow and fill the joint gaps. Uh, we are looking to try and get rid of that flux because it's added steps in your process for one. Uh-huh. So you have to apply the flux. And then after the fact, you have to clean the flux off of the part. Okay. And a, a lot of customers uh, aren't afraid to do that, but it's it's cycle time, right? You have right. an extra an extra step, so it's time. It's maybe an extra person, uh, you know, what whatever the case may be. 
So by eliminating that flux, you've eliminated those steps. You don't have to worry about cleaning the part afterwards. And uh, if you're washing the parts to get the flux off, then you don't have that wastewater that you have to figure out what to do with. Right, which I'm sure can be an issue. So, okay, so just to walk me through, if you don't mind, walk us through a typical uh, braze process uses flux. So let me let me try this, and you tell me if I'm good. I mean, basically, you've got to apply the flux, and then do you you also have to apply some sort of a braze paste, I would assume, correct? The actual filler material. Yes, you can use a paste. Um, what we typically use is solid alloy. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're brazing, okay. say in tube brazing, where yep. your joints are round, um, a lot of the alloy uh, will come as a ring. You okay. can get it, you know, special made from the supplier as a ring, so it slides right down over your tube. Gotcha. Um, if you have uh, plates that you're brazing together, you can get a foil. It's essentially gotcha. a thin sheet. You can put it between the plates. Right. Um, you can also use uh, stick form, like a almost like a welding stick, you know, welding rod yeah. type of a deal. Um, or if you have, say, a, a trough that you're trying to braise, you can get it in pellet form, little little solid pieces that will go down into that trough. Right, right. So that would be – so you would apply – if you were doing it with flux, you would apply a flux first, then those things, and then, and then of course, you'd have all the cleanup of the flux afterwards and whatnot, I assume. Correct, yeah. Okay. And typically before you even put the flux on, you want to clean the parts and make sure that you don't have you know dirt and dust and right, other types right. of debris in there too. So. Right, okay. All right. So it sounds like this. Uh, it it basically this this brazing process where we're, it's fluxless uh, is replacing a standard a standard uh, uh, flux based brazing. The other part of the description is that it's an in an inert atmosphere. So I would imagine most everybody knows what an inert atmosphere is, but if you don't mind, explain what that is and why we need it for this process. Sure. So by definition, an inert gas is essentially a gas that doesn't react with anything. Uh, so you're looking at helium or argon, nitrogen, that kind of a thing. Right. Technically, an inert atmosphere could also be a vacuum. Mm -hmm. right. uh, what the goal here is, uh, among some other things, but the main goal is to get the oxygen out and away from the joint. By using a, a vacuum, you have to essentially create a chamber that's airtight. Right. Because as you pull a vacuum, if it's not airtight, the oxygen in the normal atmosphere is going to be seeping into that chamber. Uh, the advantage of an inert gas atmosphere is by filling the chamber with a nitrogen or an argon, you essentially create a higher pressure in the chamber than you do in normal atmosphere. And so right. you don't have to be airtight. You, right. In all actuality, you don't want to be airtight because you want to be able to purge that space and allow the air that's in there to flow out. Right, right. So you're backfilling. So basically, and by the way, for those listening, we will put on the transcript of this podcast, we will put a link to the video, Greg, that you sent to us, which actually shows that process because it's you know hard to see on radio. <laughs> Good, <laughs> but right. Well, that was actually a process that we uh, have as part of our trade show display that uh, at various trade shows will have different displays. Uh, and that one in particular is stainless steel brazing in an inert atmosphere. Right. So they're basically, I'll describe here just for a bit, but basically there's a, a cylinder. They've got it. They've got a fixture that's inside two parts that need to be braced together. There's a cylinder that comes down. Let's say it's a foot. I don't know what the exact dimensions are. Let's just say it's a foot in diameter and maybe, I don't know, 16 or so inches tall, whatever. It doesn't matter. It comes down. It's a clear, clear glass. 
uh, uh, cylinder that comes down over. I assume that you backfill then with an argon or a nitrogen, whichever inert gases, and flush all of the oxygen out. And then it goes through a certain heating cycle, a certain different uh, KW and whatnot, and then cools at the end. And then the lid lifts and you're and you're off and running. So that's that's basically how it looks, right? Right. When we return, we'll build upon this definition with how this process is used and who is using it. But first, you haven't downloaded the free ebook yet, haven't you? The new one? Well, if you're interested, Quintus Technologies and Heat Treat Today are bringing anyone and everyone this free ebook on hipping. Explore high pressure heat treating through the many facets and advances of hot isostatic pressing in this beautiful new ebook. Go to www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook for your copy. The outlook for HIP technology has never been brighter, helped by technology shifts that are accelerated by recent global events. And I'm not going to tell you any more, so just download High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing today. Again, get your copy at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. Let's get back to our topic on the applications of the fluxless inert brazing process. So, so describe to us, if you don't mind, what some of the industries are. I mean, what are the applications here? Who, who might be using this uh, process? Well, what we see is more so with um, stainless steel tube brazing, like fluid lines, automotive fuel lines, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the end product doesn't get painted, uh, could be in an area where it's visible to people, so they want it to look aesthetically pleasing. Right. Um, those are a lot of the, the industries and processes where this gets used. But ultimately, it can be used in any brazing application that you're currently using flux that you don't want to have that additional added step. Right, right. So is it, uh, I mean, are you seeing it, mo- like you mentioned automotive industry, are there any other with the brake lines? Well, I guess that could be aerospace too. They've got brakes. But anything with brakes, is there any other industries that are that you've seen it used in? Um, I, I've, we've had some other customers with some essentially fittings on the end of a tube mm-hmm. um, type of an application. I don't know what industries they ended up putting those into, uh, right. but you know, things like that is typically where we see these. Right. But again, it, it can it can be, you know, anything where you're heating. And it, honestly, it doesn't even have to be just brazing. Right. If you have to heat something that you again, in the end, you don't want to have the oxide layers in the discoloration. Right. If you are uh, backfilling and purging that chamber with right. the inert gas, uh, then as the part cools, as long as you allow it to cool in that inert atmosphere below the oxidation temperature, then you end up with a part that essentially it doesn't even look like it was heated right right exactly so this would replace i mean this inert fluxless induction brazing would in fact replace i assume like belt furnace brazing potentially i'm sure some batch batch processes absolutely um, yeah or torches okay or torch brazing okay right 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 okay and uh manpower wise I know. Is, are there any savings in the process as far as manpower? I'm assuming you still have to. You've still got to have somebody loading up the, loading up the fixture to be brazed or whatever, right? Sure. You you still have to have the fixture loaded. Um, right. Depending on how the 
the cell is laid out. It could be right. loaded manually. It could be loaded by a robot. Right. Um, so you have some manpower requirements there. Um, yeah. But typically, the actual loading isn't that much different than what you would have to do to load those parts into a fixture to go through a belt furnace right. or to load them into a fixture to, to heat it with a torch. Right. The advantage of induction over those two is not necessarily capital investment, operating costs in the long run. You don't have the high cost of your gas. Typically, induction is uh, more uh, efficient than a furnace. Mm -hmm. It's a right. lot more efficient than a torch. Um, right. You've got a guy out there with a torch that's heating your part, and then all of a sudden he takes the torch and points it away while he does you know, something else where he's <laughs> yeah. looking at the joint. Well, all of that while the torch is away is, is just gas burning, doing yeah. nothing. Right. Um, and again, with the, with the furnace, whether you have a part flowing through there or not, you're heating that furnace and keeping it hot. Right, exactly. Whereas with induction, you're just, you're, you're applying the heat and being done. Exactly. Right, can, so let's try this. Can you, I mean, I did this a little bit, but perhaps it would be good, better for you to do it. Describe in a little bit more detail the actual process of, uh, of, uh, for an inert brazing process, fluxless. Sure. Uh, well, the chamber that you saw in the video and the, the listeners that go to the website to see that, um, what you see there is a, a large glass cylinder. They're not typically built like that. That one's built so that you can show it off and allow people to see what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times the chambers are much smaller. The goal is to essentially make that space that you have to purge as small as possible but still contain all of the areas of the part where the heat's going to be. Right. Um, because all of that space that's in that chamber has to be purged. That's gas. That's an expense. So you want to limit that. Um, the chamber opens and closes. It can be manual. It can be automatic from a push of a button. Um, so essentially, you load the part, the chamber closes, and then you start to purge. Now, depending on how long that purge cycle takes and how large your parts are and how long it takes to get to the temperature where oxidation would start to occur, you can start heating before the purge cycle is even done, as long as you make sure that by the time you've hit that oxidation temperature, all the oxygen is gone. All right. Um, so then you heat your part up to whatever temperature you need for your specific process. Um, in brazing, it depends on what type of alloy is being used and what, uh, what your base metals are. And then depending on how the coil design had to be designed for your process and your part shape, um, you might have to allow some additional soak time. Mm -hmm. So say you are putting a really weird shaped fitting on the end of a part, you might not be able to get a full surround coil over the tube that's going into that fitting right. and then realistically get that back out of the assembly. So you might have a coil that only goes around 120 or 180 degrees so to allow the heat to transfer around to the rest of that joint, kind of come to a uniform temperature and the alloy to flow, right. a lot of times you have a little bit of a soak time, right. which is what you see in that video as well. Yeah. Then after the soak time, uh, you, the operator can typically see through a little window or with our power supplies, we create a recipe with a set temperature, set power, um, whatever the case may be if you're using a pyrometer or not in a specified length of time. And through a little bit of process development in the very beginning, we can create that recipe. So from a push of a button, the operator doesn't even have to see necessarily whether the alloy is flowing or not. Right. We know from development, you need this much power at this much time. Maybe you need two or three steps at different powers, different times. And then all of a sudden, 
you know that you're going to have a good joint. You shut the power off and allow the part to cool again in that inert atmosphere. Right. Now, if you're not worried about aesthetics, maybe you have a part that's going to get painted and the oxides aren't going to affect the adhesion of that paint, or you know that you're going to have to bead blast the part anyways. Uh, maybe you're not worried about it cooling in the atmosphere, in which case you don't have to have that cooling step. You can just open the open the chamber. Be careful because then you just have a hot part. Yeah. Um, but you could essentially just open the chamber and pull that part out. Would you have to do it at all in in inert atmosphere if that were the case? I mean, if you weren't worried about the oxides, you could almost do it without well, at all, if, right? If you're just heating the part, but if you're looking to braise the part, you still want to – you either would have to use the flux or the inert atmosphere uh, uh, to keep uh, the okay, oxides yeah, yeah. out of the joint area. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yep, yep, makes sense. Okay, anything process then? So we went through the cooling, done. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the process. Then your chamber would open once the part's cool, and your operator or your robot could unload the part and load the next one. Okay. Um, a lot of customers, because of the fact that you have that purge time, you have that cool-down time, they'll end up with a unit, a, a power supply that has multiple outputs on it. Mm -hmm. um, so one in particular I can think of that we've, that we've built for a customer multiple times over uh, has a unit that has three outputs. Okay. And so in that particular case, it's a part that has two or three different braze joint locations on it. Gotcha. Um, but what you essentially are looking at is an operator, even if it's the exact same part in all three cases, the operator can load the part in one, allow it to start purging. Then you can load the part in the next one. And when the purge cycle is over, uh, you know, with a cell controller, you can have that heat time automatically start. So the operator is literally just loading station after station. Right. And when the first one's done, the second one's loaded and it's purged and it's ready to heat. And then the third one right. and then off you go. Then by the time the operator comes back to the first one, the part's cool. The chamber it's opens and go. takes it out. So yeah. essentially you just have an operator that is just loading and unloading parts. Right. And you've you've saved all that cycle time by having a machine that is incrementally right. more capital investment, but saves you so much time in cycle right. time and, and process flow. Right, right, right. So you're using that cooling time or or soak time or whatever to do another function, which keeps your keeps your production up. Perfectly. Absolutely. Greg, can you tell us of of without naming companies, I would imagine you're not able to do it. Can you tell us any specific examples of uh, of where this was implemented and specifically what processes it might have replaced? Uh, sure. Uh, the one in particular that comes to mind, the one that had the three outputs that I talked about, uh, was automotive. It was automotive fuel lines. Okay. Um, again, I, I can't say the customer name, and I can't say <laughs> which uh, right. which OEM the parts actually went into, which cars. Sure. Uh, but I, I can tell you it was automotive fuel lines. Yeah. And what we typically see there is we're up against a, a furnace brace, and mm -hmm. it boils down to not only capital investment but operating costs in the long run. Um, what the part volumes are. So if it's a if it's a car model that they don't sell a lot of, um, then they may not be able to justify the capital cost of the induction. But if you're running typical automotive volumes, then the the induction yeah. portion split over you know however many hundreds of thousands of parts a year is is peanuts in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you do you have a sense of what the cost savings was per part or anything of that sort on that example you gave? 
Unfortunately, I don't. Um, a lot good. of a lot of our customers don't share that kind of information. Yeah, they just yeah. tell us whether we won the, nice? the ROI. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if they told you? Because I mean, man, it would be a great selling point, you know, to be able to say, "Hey, listen, they were furnace brazing these. It cost them so much per part. Now they're, you know, inert fluxless uh, brazing with induction, and it costs, you know, X minus whatever per right. part. That would be a great market. Okay, good. If people want to get in touch with you, Greg, or just uh, check out LDEC, what kind of where where do they want to go? What do they want to? How much how much are you willing to tell us about your you know your personal cell phone number? <laughs> <laughs> well, not my personal one, but maybe my work one. No. Oh, okay, um, good. I'll give the listeners a chance to get a pen. Uh, <laughs> we can be reached through our website. LDEC actually right. has two different websites. Um, we have a, a website that is essentially a worldwide website. And I think there's eight different languages on it that you can choose from. Um, that is www.ldec, that's E-L-D-E-C.net. Okay. Um, on that website, you'll see a lot of product lines, applications, but then here specifically in North America, we have developed a site called uh, www.inductionheatingexperts.com. No hyphens, no spaces, just inductionheatingexperts.com. Um, that site is more tailored to our market here in North America. Um, so on that site, you won't necessarily see as much of the heat treating because, as I mentioned earlier, our sister company, EMEG, handles that. Um, if you're interested in that, their website is www.emag.com. Okay. Um, so you can go there and see more of that. Uh, personally, here in, in our office, we can. our main phone number is um, 248. Three six four, four seven five zero. Okay. And our general email address is info i n f o at ldec hyphen usa dot com. Um, me personally, you can reach me. My direct dial at my desk here is two four eight six three zero seven seven five six. And my email address is g holland spelled just like the country at emag dot com. I did have one other question here. Other resources offered by LDEC. Is there anything you want to add in on that? Any other resources? Or Sure, yeah. Um, I mentioned our websites. The right. website in North America, um, we have, again, both websites will show a list of our products. There's right. uh, at least one product line that's on the North American site that's not on the other site. Uh, that's one that we developed and, and specifically developed here in North America. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's called our Mini Miko line. Okay. Uh, but also on our North American site is a tool that we've developed this year called the Coil Design Assistant. Okay. So that's uh, our CDA. I believe you guys did a little feature on it uh, not that long ago here. Uh, but that is a feature where customers can go on our website uh, and essentially find a variety of different coil types, and they can put in what dimensions they think they they want or need, and then we get an email and can essentially do a uh, an approval drawing and a quote for them right there off of that. Right there off of the web. Yeah. Great. So it's a, basically a web a web tool to help you design a coil. All right. Greg Holland, LDEC USA, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Been very instructive. Absolutely. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate your time. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode on fluxless inert atmosphere brazing. Check out more technical episodes at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or www.heatsheettoday.com forward slash radio. 
If you'd like to reach out to today's guest, you can email him at gholland, H-O-L-L-A-N-D, at emag, E-M-A-G, dot com. Or give Greg a call at 248-630-7756. The company's website is www.ldec.net. That's E-L-D-E-C dot net. And you can also visit the North American Target site at www.inductionheatingexperts.com or the heat treating site, which is www.emag.com. You can always reach out to me and I can put you in touch with Greg. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always interested in new heat treat radio topics. Send me an email with what you find fascinating so that we can talk about it in a future heat treat radio episode. Additionally, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Today has various media features on our site aside from Heat Treat Radio. So take a minute and search our processes or equipment pages, for example, to see what news and technical content is in store. Several processes include nitriding, hardening, quenching, and brazing. If you aren't seeing a topic that you're interested in, let us know at my email or at editor at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing, for sponsoring this episode on induction. Get your copy of this free ebook on hipping at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Audio producer Jonathan Lloyd created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. That's two L's in Lloyd. Thank you, Jonathan, for making us sound great. And I'm your host, Bethany Funk. Thank you for listening.